You're listening to the Surf Simply podcast, bringing you news and opinion about surf culture, characters, coaching and competition from the team at the Surf Simply Coaching Resort. For more about Surf Simply's video coaching courses, go to surfsimply.com. Hello, ladies and gentlemen, and welcome to another episode of the Surf Simply podcast. It's been a little while since we were echoing around inside your ear holes, and it's lovely to be back. As you've probably noticed, we're putting out fewer episodes each year than we used to. You know, when we first started, there was only a few surf podcasts out there, and I felt like there was a nice space for us to critique the events of the week. Um, And I felt like that brought a lot of value to you, the listener, as well. But, you know, now there's a gajillion surf podcasts out there doing exactly that. And we feel like it's more useful for us and for you if we just put out a few episodes each year and we do one of two things in each episode. Either we try and Uh, do a deep dive into a topic that we think is worth looking at and hasn't really been looked at through a sort of science and critical thinking lens, at least in within the surf media. Um, And then the other one is when we get to interview really fascinating people. And this episode is the latter. This episode, we're speaking with Martin Dunn. Martin is someone who I have wanted to interview for over a decade. And as you will hear me say during the interview in which I fanboy him a little bit, I'm not sure that Surf Simply would even really exist without him. He was very much the inspiration behind everything that we've done uh, in, the, in those early days. So uh, it's, it's really exciting that we got to talk to him and I'm, and I'm really pleased that we're getting to share this with you. I think it might be helpful just to contextualize uh, where he's coming from for, for listeners who aren't familiar with Martin. So he most of his coaching has been focused on what we would call level four and upwards uh, surfers. So, you know, when we're talking about level one surfers being kind of entry level and level four surfers being surfers who are working on maneuvers on the wave with greater speed, power and flow and, and their coach on the beach with a video camera, that latter category is what Martin does right up to sort of world tour competitive level. So some of the comments that he makes during the interview, it might be helpful just to have that framing um, of where he's coming from. We do actually speak about it uh, as well later on during the during the discussion. Anyway, without further ado and any more waffle from me, I will hand you over to, well, me and Harry a few weeks ago, chatting with the amazing Martin Dunn. We are delighted to be joined today by the godfather of modern surf coaching, Martin Dunn. Martin was one of the first people to apply the principles of modern sports science to surfing back in the 1980s and literally wrote the book on surf coaching when he helped create the syllabus for the Level 2 Surf Coach Award that's still used by the ISA and many other governing bodies to this day. As the National Coaching Director for Surfing Australia, he's trained countless up-and-coming coaches and has always been very willing to share his expertise with others. Over the years, he's coached more than 20 athletes into the ranks of the WCT, including the likes of Julian Wilson, Ace Buck and Sally Fitzgibbons, Nicky Van Dyke, and even his own son Ben, who spent four years on the tour. In his time as head coach for both the Australian and Peruvian national teams, those teams went on to collect 11 medals at various ISA World Games, including eight gold. More recently, Martin's been making his coaching available to the masses through his online coaching services, publications and tools, as well as his regularly updated YouTube channel. And if you want to see any of uh, Martin's stuff, listeners, you can find it at martindunn.com.au. And also, uh, just to add to that already very impressive CV, I will say that, Martin, I don't think Surf Simply would actually exist without you. You were you were very much the inspiration behind 
the coaching program that Harry and I have put together. But, you know, what Harry's just done is sort of laid out a little bit of your background on paper. Could you maybe tell us a little bit more about yourself and uh, and your story? Oh, well, well, thank you very much. I'm, I'm, I'm humbled by the, uh, by the expression of that, you know. But, you know, typical surfer, I started surfing when I was 12 years of age. Uh, just an aside to that, I, I lived about 15 kilometres inland, so I had to hitchhike to the beach. Thankfully, my mother allowed me to do that as an early age. She wouldn't have, you, know, you wouldn't do that today, but back then, back in the back in the uh, early 70s, hitchhiking was okay in Australia. And and you know, and, and the reason I mention that is because because of that struggle to get to the beach. Each time I got to the beach, I was highly motivated to go surfing. Uh, you know, the, the the passion not only from the sport but also the the effort to get there made me super keen as a surfer. Surf of um, you know those days, surf every day, whatever I could. Mum used to say, you know, the surf won't run away, but I never believed her. And so as a result of that, you know, I'm a highly motivated, two three surfs a day type of guy. When I when I around about 25, I was disillusioned with what I was doing in my work career, and I decided to go to university. I did a sports science course at university. When I came out of that, I decided to do a to do surf coaching there was no surf coaching at the time or there was very little uh, and none in a professional way from what I could see and I decided to go down that path surf science as a as a subject must have sort of been in its infancy in the early 80s it was it was 1984 I think you went to, to university so what was it that really drew you to that subject and to take that course well, well, again, it was by default. I decided to try and become a PE teacher. And because of my poor uh, tertiary exam results, I couldn't get into PE teaching. So I could get into a, a lesser qualified and new program, which was sports science, uh, which in this particular course was a, was, which was specifically targeting surf, uh, not surf coaching, but coaching, sports coaching in general. Mm-hmm. So you learn about all different sports. And, yeah, then, yeah. and then what you did was you applied whatever sport you decided to go into. That's when you applied the different different knowledge, you know, the biomechanics and the and the physiology and the psychology into whatever sport you went. And of course, there was nothing in surfing then, so the, that was where the the great journey of learning how that all applied to surfing began. Yeah, so I guess back then, you know, the the course must have been a little more aimed towards uh, rugby, cricket, soccer. Uh, Aussie rules football so how did your tutors take it when you started applying those principles to uh, to surfing well actually well I didn't really apply to surfing until until the very last the three last three months of my course when I did my major work on in the biomechanics uh, course biomechanics is is the study of movement and the forces that apply to movement and what I did was I did a my major work was the biomechanics of a cutback you know, everyone was doing, you know, biomechanics of kicking a football or biomechanics of, of you know, um, bowling or, or whatever, <clears throat> more mainstream sports, if you like. So I decided to go down the, the biomechanics and the forces that apply to a cutback. And I don't know, a lot of people remember there was a there was a cutback by Thornton Fallander at NIAS. When NIAS was first in the Mentality Islands, was first brought to notice in video, and he came out of a barrel and did a big cutback. Well, anyway, I did the biomechanics of that particular cutback. I found the whole thing fascinating, you know, looking at it frame by frame and looking and thinking about the forces that applied. It wasn't you know, scientific in the fact that I had machines that went ping, you know, and all that sort of stuff. It was more about just the practical 
the viewing of the thing and then saying, okay, well, that applies like summation of forces and transfer of motion and, and the different things. And a lot of those, I don't remember exactly what they are nowadays. <laughs> the, that's, that really, I really enjoyed that whole process. I got a distinction for the work because it was, it was unique and, and thorough. And from that point on, I've just looked at surfing in a different way. And part of that has been, that has given me the confidence to be able to work at any level of surfing and the fact that I've got a, I've got a deep understanding of the sport right from the scientific side of things to, you know, to the technical side of things. To the, and, you know, I've, I've had some great mentors over the years as well, you know, sports psychologists, exercise physiologists, physiotherapists who I work with over the years and they're still friends. And they've helped me to learn and grow my my expertise, which again allows me to talk. And obviously, the, the the art is to try and put those that knowledge into a simple way so people can understand it and use it to better their performances. So I think I first discovered you back in the nineties, uh, and I remember I was doing a lot of kind of entry level lessons on the beach and, and then I was I was invited to come and do some work with the British junior team and I started looking out online in sort of the limited first version of the internet that existed back then and you really were sort of stuck up above the crowd as someone who was looking at surfing as a as a sport and was also using video cameras and video feedback and I, I don't remember really seeing anyone else around at the time doing that or not or at least not making it publicly available and it really struck me at the time that a career as a professional surf coach could be carved out beyond just doing entry-level lessons on the beach, you know, which is why I sort of said earlier that I'm not sure if surf simply would exist without me having seen what you had achieved back then. You know, and what we have now is very much an ethos of, you know, surfing can be taught as a sport rather than sold as a lifestyle. You know, that was something I really took from you. But I I suppose the question that I want to ask you is, I was lucky enough to have you as an inspiration then, I suppose. Nowadays, there's a lot of uh, young people that that I chat to that would like to be able to turn their love of surfing and more specifically teaching surfing into a career as a surf coach. And so I'm curious as to how the that university course evolved into a, an income stream and a career as a as a professional surf coach and you know and, and sort of I guess what advice you might give to to any young people looking to follow in those footsteps well you know well because it, back in the back in the day there was only really a couple of coaches out there who who you could look at there was Ian Cairns who was doing some stuff Australian pro surfer he he did a a series with Tom Curran he did a three video series. That was the only thing. There was a guy by Brian Loudon who wrote a book on performance surfing in Australia. I think that was the one with Kelly Slater as a teenager on the front cover at the Coke Classic. Possibly, yeah. I, I don't remember yeah. exactly now, but there was only a couple of people that I saw who were doing stuff that was sharing their information. Ian Cairns' stuff was, was excellent, but it was too long-winded. You know, you watch the video once and you'd never want to watch it again because, you, you know, it was just way too long. And, you know, all, all, all respect to, to Ian and, and Tom for what they did there. Uh, so, you know, that, so that was that was interesting. That So there's nothing there. So what, what I did was I read every book I could find, you know. So I read on, you know, athletics, on tennis, on, you know, the sports psychology books, the biomechanic books, you know. I've still got a lot of those books in my library, um, how to create speed for, you know, speed training for, for athletics. You know, and then and you know when you read this sort of stuff, it gives you again a, a width of a, a width and a depth of understanding, 
And then what? Then you think about it. Then you then then you you believe. Then you work on. Okay, well, what would work in surfing? What could I try in surfing? So there, there was a lot of experimental learning. And the thing about it is, because I I, I work with small groups, one on one or small groups mainly, all all over those years, I, and I video every session, so I'm behind the camera. There's a, there's a long time be, when you're sitting there behind the camera, when there's not much going on in the water, and it's a time when you can there's a time you can use that time to reflect on the performance, or you can you know ring your mates or whatever. I spend a lot of time thinking about performance. It's a lot of times where I where I produce my products, you know, I, I write notes in my thing, or I write now I write notes in my phone if I've got a thought and I want to produce a video. You know, it's it's not just meeting people. So what I'm saying, it's not just meeting people at 8 o'clock in the morning and then finishing at 4. My day starts normally at 3 a.m. in the morning and I, you know, I do a lot of work early in the morning because that's the time when I can, I can work and I can reflect and I'm not disturbed. Definitely the, you know, those who want to be a good coach, they need to actually, they need to do the grind work of learning about sport in, in a more broad way, in my belief. And they need to also think about how they can apply a lot of that stuff to surfing. But, you know, thankfully, you know, now, you know, there's people like myself and there's people like you, Ru, who have produced stuff online that people can get into. So that helps their journey. Then you have to apply it to the individual. And that's another, that's another journey you have to learn is what, what works with one person doesn't work for another. So the more experience you get, the more you have to individualize it to the people, whatever you know. Because the fact is that, what works one day in surfing, what works perfectly well one day in surfing, is perfectly incorrect on another day, or can be. And so you have to actually take in the conditions and, and the other the environmental factors that come into play as well, as far as whether you perceive a, a performance is good or bad, because it's sometimes it's absolute. Yes, it's good. Yes, it's bad. But often it's not. There's a lot of grey areas there. And when you've got a lot of information in the background, you've got a, a lot of understanding, well, then you can make the right call. So I just want to pick up on something that you said there about individualizing coaching. So, you know, something that we're obviously thinking about a lot because we only have five days with most of the people that we're working with is to you know, how to make the most efficient use of that five days for them particularly. So the first thing we're trying to establish is, you know, what's the limiting factor in their surfing holding them back and then you know what's the second and third priority and then of course we're thinking about the conditions and what's going to be the the optimal drills given the conditions that we're presented with you know and, and we've sort of developed now a very specific format for our first lesson that that helps us try to calculate that as quickly as possible I was just wondering could you talk about that subject a little bit you know particularly when we're thinking about people who've been surfing for a long time but this is maybe the first time they've been a student well, you know, like probably 80% of the people I work with are first-time students. So, you know, I've got to make assessments about what, what goes on and what they need to work on, you know. I do have I do have a, a couple of forms that I send to them. They fill out before they come, and that gives me some understanding, especially the, the more motivated ones, the ones that I know, like more competitive surfers, I tend to do that because that gives me an understanding of what they do, and they, and they also have a chance to evaluate or rate their performance. And rating their, their self-rating their performance before I see them gives me an indication of how they think of their performance. Because if they overestimate or they overrate, 
there's some problems with that. If they underrate, that might be that they mentally they are hard on themselves, too hard on themselves. There's some stuff that you can glean from that before you even meet them. So you've usually seen video of them before they come and stay with you, and then so when they're rating that video, you've also seen it. Is is that how it usually goes? I've got a form which is the the twelve. There's twelve skills that need to be done well to get a good score, right? And six of those skills actually are without even without before you take off. So you know your beach observation, you know your positioning in the water, wave catching, you know all that sort of stuff. It's just it's just an over it's just a, a really general way of giving me an idea. They say, yeah, well, you know, like I'm 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 good at my positioning, but but I make too many errors in my wave catching. Well, you know, so I I look for that when I see them. So and generally they're pretty good. Most you know most people know what what goes well and what doesn't go well. So it's good to get a self evaluation in that regard. When I get to and and often I don't see video of them, but sometimes I do. Obviously, video is always helpful. But often what happens is I see them, the first time I see them, I just put them in the water. I, I don't give them any instructions. I just go and surf like you normally surf. Some people paddle out and they try and do aerials and do all that sort of stuff. And if that's what they normally do, well, that's what they normally do. Some people over, overdo it, overcook the books, if you like. That first surf, I, with, you know, I ask them first, are you comfortable about paddling out there? They yeah. say yes to that. So there's, a, there's some permission, if you like, to surf that break. And then what happens is that they go out, and then you know, within one or two waves, I'm, I'm, I'm actually already making decisions about what's what's working, what's not working, and 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 my my rule, if you like, is if I see it once, I suspect there's something wrong. If I see it twice, I know there's something wrong, you know. And and in in my mind, I have a vision of 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 performance. <clears throat> if it's a professional, if it's someone who wants to be a professional surfer, well, then you know that. The hundred point surfer, if you like, if there's a scale and Kelly Slater and Mick Fenning are at the top, you know, or, or nowadays Medina and well, not everything Medina done is, is needs to be hundred points. <laughs> but you know, if there's hundred points, you can you can rate people in your mind about how how good someone is. If they're a recreational surfer, well, then you know, again, it's you can rate them about where they are on the timeline, um, and and from that you can then have a starting point. Normally, I get to see people between, you know, you know. Sometimes I just see people for for one day. Other other times, it might be three to five days. Uh, in a in a five day period, you know, if I can change two or three major things in that performance, or put them on the path to changing their performance in that time, that's 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 great. They're going to be very aware of their surfing in that time, but actual physical change that they can go away and be comfortable with and work on. Because everything you change uh, in a positive way actually enhances the performance long term. So, you know, and a lot of my, my training is not teaching new skills. It's, it's, it's re, um, relearning old skills. So, you know, when we have someone come along who has been surfing for a long time, but they're a first time student, we can take a pretty good guess at what's going to be the things we're going to need to work on with them first. I mean, it's usually a couple of foundational skills. And I was wondering if you could just talk about, you know, your experience with that, talking about maybe some some more specific things. I mean, just because I love hearing you talk about this stuff. You know, so what are the, what are the common mistakes that you, you know you're going to have to address or, or you can bet pretty heavily that you're going to have to address with a, an experienced surfer and a first-time student? Um, well, well, there's there's no, there's non-negotiable skills, you know. Like there's there's your your wave selection, your your position in the ocean, 
Um, there's there's the the decisions you make when you're paddling back out uh, after after a wave. Um, there's uh, when you're up and surfing. Um, the, the number one thing is is what, what I call the bookends of the ride. There's a there's a, what you do on takeoff. Um, whether whether you've got a good pop up and then whether you can create speed and take horizontal speed to take off. That's that's in my view that's one of the most ins, one of the most essential skills you you can have. Um, because you know, if you can create speed, horizontal speed, um, it, it allows you to surf a lot of different waves well, and it allows you to surf small waves really well. Um, and and for the majority of, of the surfing population around the world, small waves is is the staple that we all surf. So being able to surf small waves is conditioned on being able to create speed. So that's number one. Number two is um, is when they get to the end of the wave, can they finish well? And finishing is is really um, um, uh, it's two things. It's it's the technique of doing the manoeuvre that needs to be done, and it's and it's the decision making about what manoeuvre should be performed. So so a lot of times when people make mistakes at the end of the wave, well with it, with every manoeuvre, if we're talking about the end of the wave, um, a lot of times the the error uh, it can be a technical error, you know, like doing a reentry or or doing a floater. But often it's more that they make the wrong choice. So they're faced with a particular section, and instead of doing a a, a normal, if, instead of doing a, a lip line finish, which you do when it's really sucky, they'll do a normal reentry. And if you do a normal reentry in a sucky section, you tend to get caught in the lip or you nosedive when you when you're coming down. Um, so. So a big part of the, that training, um, the, that's where I first look at a, a surfer is what they do at the start, what they do at the end, and then then the next thing is the other thing I look for is is um, is where do they stop? You know, can they maintain their flow or their their line without stoppages as they're going along the wave? Um, and again, it's a combination. It can be both, or it can be one or the other, technique or decision making. And so you know, a lot of people talk about you know. You you've got to do a better cutback, you know. For instance, they might say, "Oh, your yeah, cutback's not good. You've got to do a better cutback." Um, uh, well, then you've got to actually be more specific than that. You know, you, you're making you, you're doing you know you're, you're making the wrong decision in the cutback section, in a fat section. You might be doing a snap, and that's what's causing your cutback to be poor, or it might be that you you're not getting a good set position, which is a technical aspect of your performance at the start of the cutback, and that's the problem. So you've got to define exactly what the problem is that you're observing with the surfer. So that's really interesting. And I guess one of the things that I've noticed, you know, when when teaching specific skills is that there's obviously the physical techniques and movements that people need to do with their body, but there's also the kind of mental um, tactics, you know, the, the, the timing and the positioning where that maneuver should be used. For myself but I think I see for a lot of my uh, students as well you know that when you focus in on that physical uh, technique and what you're meant to be doing with your arms and your legs and your head it doesn't leave a lot of mental bandwidth for thinking about the tactics thinking about the timing and you know where you are on the wave and which maneuvers you should be performing and and vice versa you know if I, I if I go out and focus on the timing right invariably my mechanics tend to tend to go wrong so you mean 
it's difficult to think about how to do a cutback when you're thinking about whether to do a cutback. Yeah, yeah, I guess. So, uh, Martin, I'm, I'm really interested to you know, what advice do you give your students when you're when you're coaching them through uh, a manoeuvre? What, what advice do you give them to differentiate and stay focused on, on those separate skills? Well, you, you, they've, got to have a, they've got to have specific tasks to go and work on. Okay, so, you know, like it's one or two tasks per... Um, Per session, if you like, so and, and or per um, training drill, um, I, mm-hmm. I send people out for six waves or thirty minutes, whichever comes first, because they can focus for six waves. You know, it can be four waves or six waves, whichever, whichever you want, or thirty minutes. Because if you if you don't have a time limit, they can catch six waves in two hours. You know, and then yeah, you know, yeah. then, then you then you're you're not being effective in your in being able to communicate to your surfer. I like to stand on the beach, not be in the water. So, you know, so I do need them to come in and we have a talk. So give them give them one or two skills. Give them a finite number of things. Uh, you can set targets with them. They can they can set a target, you know, I'm going to try and do this for six weeks. So it's a, matter of, it's a matter of getting them to be able to focus on a particular skill for that period of time. It interferes with their normal surfing. You have to you have to actually allow them, and you have to inform them that this this in itself can make mistakes, and that's okay because what we're doing is we're working towards a higher level of of, of performance. But the the you know with anything that you're learning or anything you're learning, you are going to make mistakes. You will be frustrated, and you've got to actually allow them. You've got to you explain to them that that's that's okay, you know. And and that that's that's something that everyone goes through. And then you talk about you know like you talk about all those pro servers that you work with, or, you know in my case, who who have been through exactly the same thing, but they've worked through because they've been highly motivated to to do their thing. So it's a matter of setting setting a target, setting a time limit or a number of ways, getting them to go out and do it. I also uh, write notes on their board, or I use wax dots. I use some some focusing strategies that. Just that are in front of their face to help them to keep them focused on that task, whatever that task is, and then and then go from there. And then obviously when they come in, then the focus is on on the positive things they did well. You know, you don't want to, yeah. you don't want to dismiss the things they did poorly, but you do want to, and you, you do want to you do want them to feel good about their performance because they put the effort in and they're the ones who actually had to do the work. Yeah. You know, you, you can't ignore the things they did poorly, but you don't want to dwell on that because too often coaches, well, ca- coaches and parent coaches in particular, their surf will come in and the first thing they talk about is what they did wrong. In actual fact, instead of doing that, you know, the best way to do it is is when they come up to you say, well, what did you do well? You ask them what they did well because you want them to, to, to mind the things that they they did well, and sometimes, sometimes they that well. Often they'll say, oh, "I didn't do anything well," you know. Didn't, and then that, that's up to the coach. To then say, "Well, you know, you sat in the right position. You know, you caught the right wave. You know, you've got to actually help them start to see the potential that they did well, the things that how they all interrelax, it interacts, so that in the future, the next time they go and they try it, they might do better because they already know they're getting those part, those components of the performance right, and then more likely they're going to get the the one they're working on in a uh, in a correct way as well next time 
Yeah, you always have to make sure that you're complimenting people on all of the things that they've done well. And it's funny how seductive it is for a surfer to kind of dismiss their whole performance if they think a bit of it was bad. And so pulling out the bits that they've done well is really important. In fact, it's almost—it's funny how before people come and stay, they'll very often oversell their ability and then or their performance. And immediately after that first session with the camera on them, they then swing completely the other way and undersell it. And I guess part of our job as a coach is to start to line up more accurately what their performance is like with what their opinion of their performance is but you know having said that of course compliments always have to be real you know if a coach ever pays a a a fake compliment a false compliment to their student well then it completely undermines the student's confidence in the coach and everything that they're saying so you know that that's very important too if you're talking to yourself in the negative way all the time well that's just how you'll be you know, for example, I had a I had a, a former WCT surfer who wasn't on the WCT at the time with me in, in a, a training camp for a brief um, number of years ago, and the surfer went out. The first, again, there's the first surf. There was four or five of them. They were all in the top hundred in the world. This particular surfer was in the top fifty in the world, but he wasn't making the WCT. He went out. It was four to five feet. There were some good waves. There were some closeouts and different things. Anyway. When he came in, I asked him that question, how did you go? And he said, well, I did this wrong, I did this wrong, I did this wrong. And and what what I saw was was outstanding surfing. Sure, he was making mistakes, but the majority of the stuff I was seeing was great, really powerful, really successful. His wave selection was really poor, which 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 I can tell a story about that as well. But but the thing about it was that I, I said to him, well, well, this is what I saw. I said, well, can you tell me whatever... You know, um, what you, is there something? You, he said, no, I didn't do anything right. I didn't do anything right. And it was clear to me at that point, this is the reason why he wasn't making the WCT. So for the next three days in the camp, all I did was, okay, what did you do well? You know, like I saw you do that well. He told me what he did well. And by the end of it, he was actually starting to get the idea of, of thinking about the thing. The, next, the very next week, he went to Newcastle where there was a, a, WC, a WQS event, a four-star WQS. He won the thing. Okay, he won the thing. Now, I, 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 I put it down that he was a bit more positive when he left my camp. And then within 12 months, he was on the WCT. Okay, so I, I know and I've, I've come across a number of surfers who that's how they think. And actually, you know, as coaches, what we can do is we can actually help them be better in life by, by helping them be better in their thinking you know, like there was a young kid in, in here who was having problems with his parents, and his parents brought me, brought him to me, specifically because he was so negative with himself. And so I, I, in his surfing, that's all I did. I talked about the positive things, and he's a pretty good kid these days. I'm pretty, pretty pleased with how he went. So, so there's that other thing that there's this all this intangible stuff that we do as coaches, where we can have a really intangible effect on people that we're not purposely setting out to do but if we do it right that's what that's the outcome we get we get a better surfer we get a better person and that's that's a win-win for everyone you know uh that's actually very insightful and i think you've kind of hit on something that i haven't i don't know just put my finger on or seen through that lens before i mean you know we don't work with professional surfers people coming through surf simply are, are hobbyists they usually have other stuff going on in their life you know they're 
uh, that's that's really important. But surfing is nevertheless really important to them. I mean, it's a week at Surf Simply is, you know, it's not an inexpensive way to spend your vacation time and it's fairly intensive. So, you know, these are very enthusiastic amateurs. But what, what we do is, is, and we took this lead from you, this idea that we're sports coaching, we're not selling this kind of lifestyle retreat type uh, experience that a lot of surf camps and retreats uh, kind of market to people. So we, we just do it, focus it on as a sports coaching thing. But nevertheless, we get so much positive feedback from people talking about the peripheral positive life effects that their week with us has had. And, you know, I... I, I hope that the whole experience outside of the sports coaching is very positive um, and we take good care of everyone. And, you know, I love all of the people who work at Surf Simply and I think that just being around them has a positive effect. But more specifically, I think what moves people so much is that they're being given something really difficult. And I think surfing is probably the most difficult thing I've ever tried to do. And then they are succeeding in, in some small or large way. But, you know, as a coach, we're giving them obtainable goals which hopefully they're then obtaining and then they're getting real compliments on real achievements that they've made within that and I, I think that that does have a, a kind of a ripple effect out into the way that you see yourself in your wider life and, and you know actually uh, just to, to refer back to what you were talking about before about how we frame the negative aspects of our performance as well I think it's really seductive often for surfers to uh, you know, make some significant mistakes in a session and then it's it's very tempting to write off that whole session and just go, well, that all sucked. That session didn't count. I'm not putting it in my internal mental tally to, to rack up against how good I am as a surfer. I'm just going to throw that one out, throw it in the trash. And it's actually, it takes a lot more thoughtfulness and perhaps even a lot more courage to say, no, no, actually there was some really good stuff in that session. Unfortunately, there was some mistakes as well that I want to address, but I'm going to own the good stuff and own the bad stuff. I think that almost is kind of a braver and more productive approach. Yeah, for sure. You know, you've got, you, you've got to put it in the right box. You know, like someone who's been serving for six months, you know, there's different things that you can be positive with them about than someone who's been serving for 20 years. You know, and so you but so you've got to you've actually got to you've you've got to actually uh, interpret how you say something to someone with their expertise without actually them feeling intimidated by it. You know, but I would, I would think that you know, like you know, with with the, the tree of knowledge which I've seen, you know, that people can see when they go to your place just from the images. I've never been there, but just from the images and what you're trying to do. That they feel as though you you do you do believe in them you do want them to do well you do want them to be a better surfer. For a lot of surfers, they know all this other stuff in their life, and but they're passionate about their surfing. They want to be better. They want to they want to do it. That they want to have a level of expertise with which they they're happy with, you know. And 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 we all know as surfers that you can go out on a day and the waves are really bad, and if you could just do one good manoeuvre. You know, you do one good reentry, or you do a maneuver that you, well, that that felt really good. That can make your day. You know, that's what we're talking about here. We're not talking about you know that you you're a good surfer and you can dominate the peak. That's that's irrelevant. It's all about how you feel internally about yourself. And if I, and I'm sure that's that's what you do. But but your intent is shown through by your by your program. You know, I know that I never ever want to miss a wave. When I'm videoing someone, I never ever want to because the wave I miss is the one that I, the, the, is the one that I want to talk about. 
you know, and you'll know, see other coaches yeah. out there and when they're, when they're videoing something, they're on the phone and they, they talk to someone out the back and, you know, they're missing waves. They're, you know, they're not being professional. They're not being thorough enough. And and thoroughness isn't isn't hard work. It's just it's, it's just being aware of what needs to be done to deliver that quality. And it's all about quality. I say to my daughter, you know, like it's all about quality. You know, you've got to – it's like a restaurant. If you produce one bad meal – the word goes around that your restaurant's no good. So you yeah. just you just can't do it. You just can't do it. So you know, I'm sure that you guys are at the same mindset and that's what you get back from your people. I don't hear that so much. I hear bits and pieces back from people from time to time and um, because I'm working with people who've got they've got careers on the line a lot of the time and so they're that's where their mind is. I, I remember actually one one that blew me out was at Bo Emerton, who was an ex pro surfer. He beat Kelly Slater at Huntington Beach a number of years ago in the US Open in the final. And and he rang he rang me up that night and I hadn't heard from him for three or four years. And he said, oh, I just wanted to thank you for, for the training you did with me because I worked with him from like 12 to 16, like that formative years and all that stuff. He said, oh, I use that stuff all the time when I compete. And it blew me away. You know, that was the biggest win against the superstar Kelly Slater. And, um, you know, those they're the sort of things that... You know, they're the intangible things you, you really cherish as a, as a teacher, as a coach, that they don't say anything, but, but there's, that, there's that respect and there's that, that, that goodwill back to you. And, you know, and then obviously other people refer, they refer you to, um, to others further down the track and then that's where you get your, 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 your ongoing business from. So just sort of jumping in on what you were talking about there with coaching some of the professionals and, and, you know, maybe even some of the stuff we were talking about earlier with your initial journey, but really interested to hear a little bit more about how it's come about that, you know, you are working with such a huge range of athletes and national teams, you know, going back to when you started coaching, I guess, Surfing was a very individualistic sport. I can't imagine that very many people, you know, even had coaches, let alone the situation we have today where, you know, whether it's uh, national teams or it's uh, sponsorship teams, you know, that there is this huge investment in, you know, athlete development and, and bringing them on. So, yeah, I, I guess I'm really interested to know how that how that process happened, you know, how it went from you deciding to coach to the point where you're coaching national teams and, and you know some of the best surfers in the world well again it's, it's, it is a it's a long journey you know um, when I when I first started coaching there was no coaches so you know you you come out and, and you step outside the the norm the, you know people well, you, people just learn how the, 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 the common thing was people just teach themselves how to learn they don't need coaches so you know there was a lot of years where there was no work after I started getting you know more and more work what happened was that I realised that at some point a lot of the ex-pro servers would come back and they'd see coaching as a as a career and then I wouldn't have any match-up to them in people's minds. So what I started to do was to produce products, you know, training manuals and videos. And, and, and when you do that, not only does it give you a good depth of knowledge yourself, but also in other people's minds you become an expert because you're producing content. And, you know, I'm up to I think about 20 products now plus um, a couple of major uh, website, instructional websites over the years. And so that, that gave me, you know, even against the, the top ex-pro service in the world, I've still got a good name. You know, I'm, I, am, I factor into that. I don't factor into the, you know, the, 
on the beach with the the WCT surfers on the world scene because that normally goes to an ex-pro surfer who's quite who's a bit more current, probably a bit younger. <laughs> but that doesn't mean that I'm I'm not comfortable working in that environment either, you know. And so that that came about from just years and years of work. I got um I got asked to be with an Australian team in in uh, two, uh, 94 or something like that. And the main reason was because I was producing so many Australian champions out of my training camp situation. So they sort of had to give me a, a job, if you like. So I went to Portugal with the Australian team. That was the first gig. And then I worked with the New South Wales Institute of Sport team before the 2000 Olympics. So that was working That was working with, you know, Adrian Bucken, Sean Cairnstall, Darren O'Rafferty, um, Tom Whitaker, Phil McDonald, Jesse Miley Dyer, Rebecca Woods, Sally Fitzgibbon, you know. So there was, in that particular squad, there was probably 15 w, future WCT surfers. So, you know, you, you work at that level. And then, and then what happened was that in 2010, surfing, or 2009, Surfing Australia got a... Um, uh, got some money because Australia is doing so well. Mick Fenning, Steph Gilmore, Joel Parks, they're all doing well internationally. And, you know, Australia, surfing's been one of the premier uh, sports in Australia for international results for many, many years, but we weren't getting credited with it, you know, cricket and football and whatever. And then, and because because the Olympics was more moving towards youth sports, they wanted to bring in some other things. So anyway... Because surfing was doing so well, they were got some funding to to build a high performance center, and then um, they got some funding to hire some staff, and I was one of the ones that they wanted to hire. So I was a I was a head coach at Surfing Australia for at the high performance center for three years. That involved me being part of Australian teams. I think 12, 12 teams. I went away with that, and then when I left Surfing Australia, um, I got invited by Peru to come over, and I've been working with the Peruvian team off and on for the last four or five years, and uh, they've been doing very well. I'd say there's one or two servers who are about to break into the WCT. They're not far away, and two of them just made the Olympics this year as well. Uh, and I worked with them two weeks before they went to that event, so that was part of their preparation was a couple of weeks of training down in Peru. Uh, so, you know, it, it's it's been a, a long journey. Part of the journey was becoming the expert through the productive um, uh, development, but also just the grind of being on the beach, being at the contest, travelling all those miles and um, and letting the, the athletes take the results, not, not, not standing up there as being you know, more in the background, being in the background, just doing the job. Absolutely. So, I, I mean, I'd love to talk to you uh, about the Olympics in a bit, but, but just before we get there, I, you know, you mentioned the High Performance Centre out in Australia. And uh, we've just recently moved into our new facilities here in in Costa Rica. And, you know, when we were designing it, we were definitely, you know, we were taking a lot of inspiration from what's been done over at the High Performance Centre. And that was built while you were working for Surfing Australia, I think. I mean, how how involved with the build and the operation were you? Um, I wasn't wasn't involved too much in the initial build. I was there. I I was employed. But that was being decided. You know, I was in meetings and stuff, and but there wasn't a lot that I needed to be a part of. It was more, it was more of a structure where things could be done. So you know, media right. rooms and 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 the like. They're they're much. They've, they've doubled the size. They've tripled the size of it recently, actually. So it's 
it's got a huge skate ramp inside and so they've they've got a lot of they've got a lot more facilities now to train elite surfers. Having said that, that doesn't mean they're gonna produce elite surfers. Because because you know, like not all you know, it comes down to, there's a chemistry in being elite or becoming elite. And and having a good facility is good, but it's also it's also good that you have people who buy into that facility and use that facility, you know? And sometimes I don't I don't believe I think I think talent grown organically with visits to that facility will be a perfect perfect uh, mix. But dictating too much to use the facility, which which I think happens from time to time, doesn't work so well, you know. So what I'm saying there is is the chemistry of building building a performance uh, a lot of time is the people around the surfer, more so than the buildings around the surfer. Since we've moved into our new building, I've had so much wonderful feedback about the building, but I completely agree with you that actually building the team is both more important and has been more difficult. Yeah, I mean, if, if I could keep the team and lose the building or keep the building and lose the team, I would lose the building and keep the team, you know, every single time. You're listening to the Surf Simply podcast. I just want to pivot back to technical surf coaching for a second. So, you know, when you're talking about the things that you're focusing on, I'm imagining a short border, what we would call it, the Surf Simply, a level four surfer who's got their coach on the beach with the camera and they're really focusing on performing maneuvers, perhaps off the top of the wave with more speed and power and flow. What we do at Surf Simply is often work with people to get them to that point from being sort of not entry level, but somewhere nearer entry level, maybe. And it's always interesting to me how you have to shift the focus very radically to almost be contradictory to what you were saying before as someone progresses. An example that just springs to mind to illustrate the point is we'll often have surfers that are taking off on a wave and going straight down the wave towards the beach. And we're trying to teach them how to stay high and generate down the line speed. So we spend a lot of time working on that angle takeoff. But then as soon as they can do that angle takeoff consistently, we're telling them, okay, no, now we want you to go straight down so that you can do a bottom turn and bring you right back up to the lip. And it's interesting that as a coach, you actually don't want to just tell everyone everything that they have to do. A big part of your responsibility as a coach is to pick out the one or two things that are both the most helpful for them, but also the things that are the most counterintuitive just focus on those things. So, you know, one example of that which springs to mind is when you're turning off the top of the wave on your backhand, you're you're sort of naturally rotating and looking back down the wave. Whereas when you're turning off the top of the wave on your forehand, it's not intuitive particularly to look over your shoulder. And so you have to really focus on that rotation of the body as being, you know, that coaching keyword that you might be thinking about. So I, I don't know. It's just an area which I've sort of noticed and I feel like we're just starting to explore and really interests me both how you choose to emphasize or, or give drills that are seemingly contradictory as a surfer progresses and also the process of trying to pick out the things that are the most counterintuitive for the surfer to focus on knowing that they will do the intuitive things naturally under their own steam again just a, a recent example i just worked with a surfer who uh, 50 years of age i did five half days with this this is a lady lady surfer 
um, 50 years of age. She's been surfing for a lot of years. And uh, a lot of her problems were actually what she was doing before she was catching catching her waves, before she was standing up. You know, her, her, her positioning in the water, her choice of when to paddle for a wave, a choice of waves. Um, There's also situational things where she would paddle for a wave too late and she'd be trying to take off after the, the white water has broken over the back of the head. And whenever she did that, she invariably wiped out. So, so you know, a, a lot of it depends on... At that level, a lot of it depends on their ability to have a good entry into the wave, in my view, because what that does, that, that gives them a foundation of to just do the basic thing of, of um, what we say pop and go or pop and throw to, to, to turn on takeoff and go across the wave, you know, and, and also using that type of terminology, they can, they can learn how to, to do those skills by telling themselves in the water. So when they jump up, pop and... You know, and they can say it and they can tell their body, that's what I want my body to do. The, the premise of all that is that you want, you want to train your surfers, you want to train your surfers so that they are able to be self-sufficient and make, make those decisions themselves without instruction. That's the ultimate aim. You want them to actually be able to, to, to have the confidence to paddle out and then make those calls in the water so that they're consistently making those calls correctly in the water. And so a lot of times what you want, what I do is I, I, talk, I have rules. I have some rules that I have and I have rules that I, I talk to my servers about. So, you know, A plus B, well, if A plus B happens, well, then you do C. And so, you know, if what, with, with catching waves, for instance, the rule is I'm only going to catch the wave, I'm only going to paddle for wave if I can catch it. So if I can physically catch it, I'm going to paddle for it. That's that's one thing. That's one box you can tick. I'm only going to paddle for the wave if I'm in a position that I can take off on the peak where the wave initially breaks. That's two. That's number two. And I'm only going to paddle for the wave because it actually it will allow me to get a good ride, whether that's getting a good long ride for a, for a novice surfer or an early surfer, or or a ride which will allow me to do a number of manoeuvres for a more advanced manoeuvre. Yeah, I always think that's a, a really interesting point in, in people surfing, you know, initially when they start, you know, wave count's quite low and, and so wave count becomes a bit of a goal and you, as you get better, you get more and more and more waves. There comes that point where, you know, you almost have to sit down and, and say to somebody that, I know you could catch that wave, but, but I don't think you should. You know, it's not a good shift from wave quantity to wave quality is a really interesting transition point i think for a lot of surfers that's the error indicator when you when you when you see them catching waves and they just close out or there or or a big wave will come through and they'll catch the wave because it's just a big wave a big wave is not a good wave but in a lot of surfers minds that's that's actually how it is and so if you if you can teach them at that early stage about the decision making of catching waves uh, i call it common sense so if you can tick those three boxes, then you paddle for the wave and you catch that wave. If one of those boxes can't be ticked, and this is this is like a rule, if one of those boxes can't be, you just you say no. And a big part of a big part of quality wave selection is actually saying no to waves. Okay, so it's not just actually catching the waves; it's actually letting all those other bad ones go through. Yeah. And that's yeah. a big skill that a lot of people haven't got. And getting back to this girl I worked with, she she articulated that if it doesn't if it doesn't fit my criteria, if it doesn't fit my my vision of what a, what a good wave on that day is, well then 
that's why I'm not going to paddle for the wave. And I got feedback this morning from her on an email saying that that's now she's getting like 89% success from her wave selection because she's starting to, to intellectualize the process to a point where she won't have to intellectualize it anymore because it'll just become what she does. But in that in that learning phase, you actually have to you actually have to come up with some structural technique, a mental technique that allows them to actually learn it, and then it becomes automated at a later time. So that that's something that I do. And and with the and with the um, the the again the early surfer as that pop up and and creating that horizontal speed. That's that's really critical. You know, there are, you know, I, I've cl- there's 12 things. It's a bit like your, your tree of knowledge. There's, there's 12 things in when a surface just starts to paddle out and catch their waves before they start doing manoeuvres. There's actually a list of 12 skills that people should do well. Could you walk us through them? Yeah, well, you know, it's a, a lot of them are, are to do with, with your positioning in the ocean, using landmarks. You know, knowing where you are, ocean awareness skills, you know, so that you, you can actually find the waves when you paddle out, um, you know, knowing where, the, accessing the break, all those sort of things. Again, it's all about le- them learning how to do it themselves so that when they leave you at the end of the week, they can go back to New York or they go back to wherever they come from. And when they go surfing, they've actually, they're actually going to do that in a more, a, a more successful way in their home break. Which will allow yep. them to have better surfing experiences in their own break, and that's the that's the ultimate aim of all this, isn't it? Where I thought about that was was filming my own daughter uh, when she was learning how to surf, and she was going across waves. We, we've got a point break where I live, or where I used to live, and it's got a like, nice little inside section. So I was watching her, and I was thinking about what she was doing and what would be the next step for her. And so you know, that's when I started to think about well. Well, okay, you know, there's positioning, there's there's taking off on the peak, there's generating speed, there's, you know, learning to go left or right, you know, like lots of people just like going one way, not the other. So that's that's a skill they have to be encouraged to do. Uh, there's, 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 because what happens is a lot of people, and you, you, you could attest to this, there's a lot of people when they get to a point where they're taking off on waves, they just like going across without going top to bottom. They feel very comfortable, they feel balanced, and that's the way they surf. Every surfer, every surf in the world does that at some point in their career. Mick Finning did that at some point in his career, you know, long, long time ago. But everyone has to actually go through it, you know what I mean? And as, as a new surfer, these are, the, these are the building blocks to your performance. You have to actually have to know, you know, when you can go across a wave and when you have to cut back and so that early decision making is learnt in those in those period of time in that in that early stage and so part of it is going across a wave part of it is breaking the line and surfing top to bottom part of it is actually being able to do a, a basic finish with a with a, a finishing chest over front knee positioning uh, exercise where they if if people learn how to if people learn the basic skill of, of recentering over their board chest over front knee whenever they do a manoeuvre, they'll always have success in their surfing. You know, and so and the reason why and uh, if you learn it in an early way, in, in an early part of your surfing, if for instance you're going to be you know a, a, a young kid who's going to be a, an aerialist at some point, that that 
chest over front knee position is essential to aerial surfing. It's the landing of aerial surfing. So if you learn it early, even as as a as a new surfer on a male and you, you do a little re-entry and you, you you purposely get into a chest over front knee position, that will hold you in good stead for every other manoeuvre you learn in, in surfing. Uh, well, my air game is particularly poor. Uh, I, I enjoy getting up in the air, but me and the board tend to part company at that point. So I think you might have just hit the nail on the head there. But look, I just wanted to tell you a little bit about our philosophy of style versus the mechanics of surfing and to kind of ask what you think about it and if you want to expand upon it. So some of our listeners will have heard me say this before. Our philosophy of surfing, uh, of style in surfing and how it fits in at Surf Simply actually stems from my experience at art college where our art master sort of said, look, you guys are like 20. You've got nothing interesting to say to the world at all. What you're here to do is to learn how to use paint and learn how to use a camera and learn how to use clay and metal and wood and all these materials so that when you have something that you want to create, you can go and create it. And I then sort of translated that into a surfing context, looking at all these different styles and approaches of surfing and, you know, these self-indulgent editorials in magazines talking about which was better. And I thought, you know, let's let's teach people how to do a cutback, how to do a floater, how to generate speed. And then once they have all of these tools in their quiver of surfing maneuvers they can choose which ones they want to do and they can decide if they want to be a Dave Rastovich or a Devon Howard or a Mick Fanning so I mean could you just tell me if you sort of see it the same way or if you see it differently or if you want to expand on that a little bit I, I agree totally you know once what you can be the surfer you, you want to be you know as long as as long as you're not being forced to be that type of surfer that, that that's a good thing you know and the thing about surfing is that there, there is a there is a correct technique that you sh- you can you should use to do all of surfing, all the different aspects of surfing. There's a t- correct technique, but there is an, but with every technique there's an acceptable range in surfing, which which allows people to do it numerous different ways, and it also allows people with long thin bodies or or thick squat bodies can can do the same maneuver, and it looks similar, but it. It's a different style, if you like, because style is just an interpretation of that technique. It's when, when people get outside the boundaries of the variance of a, of a technique, that's when you've, you've got to start talking to them about changing that. If they, if they want to be a better surfer, they want to be the best that they can be, that's an important thing you need to do. Okay, so I'm, I'm very okay with, with people, whatever surfer they want to be, because it's, it's all about helping people reach their potential whatever that potential is. And, you know, my world is, is a lot of times it's, it's, it's high-level elite performance. But I'm, I'm just as happy working with surfing mums. You know, there's a group of surfing mums that I work with around here from time to time where I live. I work with, I work with uh, people who will never be a competitive surfer, but they just want to do a better cutback or they want to, they want to feel good about themselves. So I'm, I'm, not, I'm not hung up in absolute performance. But a, a, lot of, a lot of absolute performance is necessary to have a good stylish performance, you know. So a lot of that stuff that, that makes those great surfers great are still needed for that stylish surfer to, to enjoy their surfing as well. But they don't have to be, they don't really have to think too much about it where the elite person has to go through the process of thinking about it. And that's why they become yeah. elite, you know. They've actually... They've actually worked hard and 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 got there, you know. So you know that's that's probably my my take on it. 
so with that variation between you know coaching somebody that's going to go onto the elite level you know they're going to be a ct surfer they're going to you know be a fully sponsored uh, free surfer or something like that versus uh, you know somebody who's purely recreational are, are there a lot of differences there to how you would coach or is it pretty similar and and do you see much difference from the athletes themselves and I guess actually beyond that, you know, it, is there anything particular if, if somebody was going to come to you, whether they, you know, aspire to be a, the, the next world champion or, you know, they're just looking to improve slightly. Are there markers that you've spotted for people that are going to be, you know, really good students? Are there, are there things that people can come to you with knowing that, that, you know, this is useful to do? Yeah, I seem to remember you saying that um, Sally Fitzgibbons was someone who is exceptional at just picking up new information and automating it very quickly. I mean, is there anything, character traits or habits that people display that kind of correlate with an ability to do that? From someone who's going places, you know, when I was at the High Performance Centre in Serving Australia, I used to go down to the Institute of Sport in Australia, which, which housed all the Olympic sports. And we used to do conferences there with the coaches from all different sports. And, and one of them was talking about that thing about markers for elite, elite uh, athletes, whatever the sport. And bar none, all of them said people who can learn fast is a major indicator to elite performance. Okay, so someone who can, who can pick things up and they can, can you know, pick the ball up and run with it straight away uh, is, is a major, major indicator for you. And then, you know, obviously their, their motivation, just the, the little things about being punctual, about, you know, just the, just the everyday things about uh, not being negative, you know, working, working hard on their performance. You know, I, I haven't got a list. It's, you just get that feeling about people, you know. But, you know, there's, there's also the people like, again, this 50-year-old woman the other day, she was highly motivated. She was articulate about her surfing. She... She was, you know, she was keen, and you know, there's no way, she, there's no way that she will, she will be an elite performer, but mm. she will be someone who will paddle out in the next, next period of time, and and have much, much stronger and consistent performances, because of her motivation and because of her willingness to to take the information and and give it give it a go. There were times with her where she got frustrated, and I think uh, when when I was working face to face with her. And the frustration was wasn't a negative. What it was 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 an indication of her desire to be a better surfer, and so she was eliciting eliciting that frustration through through her. Oh, it's not working, you know, like being being really down on herself. You hear that often from servers who are highly motivated, but that's when the, that's when the coaches to step in and and start. Um, you know, directing them in a in a more positive frame of mind. You've got to hear that, not as about them having a whinge. It's more about them, you know, being frustrated in the fact that that I want to be a good surfer and I want to be there. And and that's a that's a major sign with someone. There's a lot of surfers I've worked with who who I would love to work with more, you know, but they they go elsewhere for for various reasons, you know. Um, but there's a lot of people you just oh wow that kid. That, you know, that person's just unbelievable what they do. There's, there's one person right now, a, a young girl surfer I know, who I'd love to work with on a regular basis because I think she could be a world champion. But but she'll probably do it with someone else and that's fine. I'm happy for her. But it's, there's just that uh, desire that you see in, in her eyes. It's you, know, you can't put a finger on exactly what it is, but it's just that stuff that you sometimes see. So I guess it's that skill is 
as a coach noticing when that frustration is starting to build up, when the pressure is starting to build up, and then making sure that that is channeled in a positive way and doesn't become a self-destructive uh, force. The other thing I'd like to say too is that, you know, that those ones who, who want to learn how to learn is are the ones that show a great characteristic. The ones who want to take that learning on board and tell me more type of attitude, you know, like what else have you got, got for me? That's another strong sign. You know, I've just, I've just redone my website online uh, to a membership site and, and, and it's, you know, what I'm trying to, it's, it's mainly aimed at recreational surfers and mainly what I'm trying to do there because is I'm trying to help people learn through the web, which, which is another major challenge that I've embarked upon. My daughter said, what are you doing for? You don't have to do that. And I'm going, well, near well, I do <laughs> because that's just what I do. But um, And what I'm trying to do is, is to reach people who want to learn, you know. Yeah. They haven't got a coach close by them or they haven't got someone regular they can talk to. Well, and I can talk to them through my, my website online, you know. Could you just tell our listeners where they can find you online and perhaps talk a little bit more about your program and and what they get from you and, and and how it works oh well yeah yeah well basically what i've done is i've got a, a website that's under my own name martindunn.com.au and fundamentally it's at the moment it's got 250 videos on there which i've produced i've produced they're all new content in the last 12 months the thing i've done this time um, which i haven't done in the past is i've actually i've got how to do maneuvers uh, as a major part of the of the of the site, but also what I've got is I've got a lot of simulation training. So land simulation, um, it's all about movement training, land simulations, and also skate simulations. And what I do is I and I've, I've got all of them there. And then what I do is I, I form them into four week challenges, so people can come in and they can they can pick a four week challenge like four week challenge of catching better waves, four week challenge for creating speed, four week challenge for how to do a cutback. All that sort of stuff. Now, the reality is a four-week challenge of four weeks won't create perfect performance. But what it will do, it allows people to experiment with these different drills and different aspects of performance so that they've got a really good sense about what a cutback should be. You know, they've got the visual sense, they've got the simulations they can do, they've got the surf drills and the stuff they can focus on in the water. And that's doing it with a... A, a coach who who they probably will never meet, you know. What I mean? yeah. yeah. But they know that the information. Well, the, they know the information is is experienced and and has worked for many many servers in the past. And again, the that the, the thing here is to help people learn how to learn how to do this stuff. Because what happened? My background is I've I've always been uh, training people. I come from a small country town called Old Bar, 3,000 people. It's not the epicenter of surfing. It's a bit like where you guys are based in Costa Rica. And so when people came and trained with me, I'd have block training like you did, and then I'd have to send them away with some training. So I've been for years and years I've been sending people away with training that they've had to do to improve, to make those changes that we worked on permanent. Well, now through my website, that's what I'm doing and I'm showing people how to learn these skills through simulation training, through um, through challenges that they can go and work on, which is pretty straightforward. And the other big part about the, the, the program is all about decision-making. 
So it's all about making, teaching people about how to make better decisions in the water. So, you know, positioning the water, common sense, which I've talked about, catching waves, making better decisions about catching waves, making better decisions about what, what to do when they take off. You know, they're finishing, you know, whether they do a, a floater finish, a uh, re-entry finish or a, or a lip line finish, that all can be taught and learnt through doing online training. So again, it's it's a bit like it's a bit like I'm, I'm stepping out of the, the my comfort zone again in the fact that I'm actually saying to people that you can be a better surfer through the net through through my programs and and I, I can't guarantee it, but if someone's highly motivated to be a better surfer, uh, I reckon they I reckon they're going to get some good information there. I think that the simulation stuff that you were just talking about, uh, you know, I find that really interesting. I, I know a lot of our students and, uh, you know, I'm sure a lot of the listeners to the show are, you know, in places where they're not able to get into the water on a regular basis. And the idea that there is something that they can do, you know, without getting in the ocean that can really help their surfing progress is probably something that's that's very interesting to them. Have you, have you been having a lot of success with that with, with your students? Yeah, without a doubt. I've been using skateboards for 15 years to, to help people learn technique. Uh, one of the aspects of simulation training that I've always struggled with, well, apart from the fact that we don't have very much tarmac here in Osara to use, is how do you create that feeling of the wave pushing back at you as you go through a turn? I, I haven't I haven't worried too much about the wave pushing back on me. Um, I, I've worried more about the movement, the the technical movement. And so, what I do a lot of is, and what I recommend is, is doing um, doing the technique uh, uh, with words. For a cutback, it's it's drive, bend, one, two, lift. You know, fundamentally, what you can you can quote it like if you're learning to dance. So when you're learning to dance, it's one, two, three, one, two, three, one, and and that's how dancers learn routines. You know, I'm not a dancer, but that that's what I've seen happen. And it's the same with it when when you're learning manoeuvres that you can, it's bend one up, bend one up. You know, as long as they've got a visual representation of what bend looks like you know, or crouch or whatever word they want to use, if someone's got a visual representation of what that should look like, they can get very close to doing that. And then once once they've done that enough, what they can do is they can they can actually take that performance to the water if they if they target a particular skill. If they if they do the simulations and then they go in the water and they don't target the skill, well then it just gets washed out in the in the in the surf. But if they've gone out with specific targets it works really well. So I can I, I can guarantee that I've worked with people for years where they've got a problem with a particular manoeuvre, we go and simulate it, uh, they know what they've got to do, then we go to the water and then they paddle out and they work on that skill, I'll get close to what they're trying to achieve in that very next surf. So it's very, very powerful training. I was just talking to Rob Wright, who's um, Owen Wright and Tyler Wright's father last week i'm just in an interview with him which i'm going to put up next week on my site and he uses skate he's used skateboard a lot with his with his training of his kids training of other people he's worked with over the years so it's 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 effective and it it works really well you know uh you know i know that you know the high performance center has has skate ramps and and the like the aerial training they do there and in other parts of the world I imagine down in Brazil they do a lot of aerial training. But a lot of that would be, there would be a lot of aerial training there where they would be having words going through their head as they're doing 
different aspects of the aerial because that's the only way you can learn that sort of stuff. Do they have a half pipe going into a foam pit at the HPC for practicing airs to give a safe landing? That's something I've actually always wanted to build in Nosara, although I'm not quite sure how you'd keep all the snakes and scorpions out of it. Well, that, and you'd have to keep the rain out of it as well, but that, that's an enclosed structure down in Surfing Australia. It's a big, like a big aircraft hangar. You know, it's a big place and it's, it's just full of skate ramps and stuff. Again, the biggest problem with aerial training is is people can learn how to do an aerial in in the simulation area, but but for a lot of people they can't take it to the water, and they yeah. can't take it to the water in competition in particular, which is what a lot of the aerial training is all about. And the reason for that is because people are averse, from my experience, people are averse to risk risk the score on that wave or risk the result of that heat by going for an aerial under pressure so they just choose they choose to dumb their performance down so a lot of so a lot of aerial training that people are doing they may be able to do it in the in the training but the neck the big step is to take it into the performance i've seen that a lot over the years not only with aerials but but it's, it's more more of a mindset that people know how to do an aerial they can do it in their in their training they can do it in their free serving but they there's a there's a mental leap to actually do it in their performances, and you know, the guys guys like Medina, uh, Toledo, and Italo, they do that in their heats readily because they're unencumbered. They've actually freed up their mind to actually I'm going to I'm going to do that because that's what I that's what's going to win me the heat. Where a lot of people won't do it because they're more fearful. Instead of looking at the positive of winning the heat, they're thinking of the negative of well I might make a mistake and I'll lose the heat. I mean, in my experience, most people who are very focused on doing aerials tend to not realize that they're not getting anywhere near the kind of speed generation that's required to start doing them. And so you often find that someone says, well, I need to do an aerial, but then you have to like go, all right, well, let's just take 10 steps back because we need to work on creating speed first. Well, without a doubt, you know, an aerial, an aerial um, technique is, is you've got to create speed. You've got to bend your body to, to set up the launch. You know, if people don't bend their body, well, they may have poor poor launch, poor height. You know, they've got to stay close to their board and they've got to get a chest over front knee position on landing. And in those three, speed, their setup, compression and their landing, if they haven't got those three things habitually correct, they're going to have inconsistencies in their aerials. I'm more interested in um, in spreading the... Spreading the word that people can be good surfers, you know, like if they if they if they choose to be a good surfer, they can be a good surfer. And there's there's places like your your establishment in Costa Rica. There's there's things like my 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 websites. People can go and get good information. How good a surf you are now, if you if you're unsatisfied with that performance, there's there's alternatives that you can look for, and there's stuff that you can learn. If you if you want to be a surf a better surfer, you can. There's there's things you can do, and obviously with wave pools coming, that's that's even that's even more relevant and more correct now that people will be able to go in and learn learn their manoeuvres in a more systematic way. And interestingly, I was just invited this week to go and speak at the Surf Park Summit in La Jolla, which is next month. Uh, Harry went to it a few years ago, and it's my first time going. But uh, and we've done a couple of exchanges with Surf Ranch where we've been up there, and they've they've come down here. Perhaps we could get you back on the podcast again in a few years' time when we've both uh, when surf parks are a bit more ubiquitous and we can have this conversation again about artificial waves. That would be pretty interesting. 
Yeah, for sure. You know, it's going to be a game changer. It's going to, you know, like probably in 10, 15 years, there'll be a, a wave park in every major regional area in the world. And uh, that'll be, that's the next brave new world of surfing, isn't it? Which one are you most excited about of all the all the ones that are out there right now? Well, well, the Kelly, Sla- Kelly Slater came out with the Ferrari of wave pills straight away, didn't he? You know, like it's unbelievable. Yeah. Probably the one that makes the most sense to me is the Surf Lakes one which is the donut one and it radiates away. The, the Mad Max plunger. Yeah, yeah, the plunger one. I, if, if they can get that technology right, that, that makes a lot of sense to me. It's just so, but, you know, obviously I've, I've actually had people send me video footage from wave parks. Uh, I think that's going to be a big area of my business in the future where people send me wave, uh, where I do reviews and do cons- consultancy online through video footage and so that gives them an easy way to get footage and also to practice those skills in the in the wave park yeah yeah fantastic all right well look last question we're wrapping up but in a couple of months the olympics are on how do you feel about how, what are your thoughts on that on surfing entering like, not a full sport now but it, you know it's a demonstration sport and it's already been confirmed for for the paris olympics in 2024 yeah what, do, what are your thoughts on that Oh well, that's just that's just the natural progression of a sport. You know, it's taken a while to to get there. Probably um, the professionalism of sport uh, of the sport has been seen by the established sports business or empire of, of the Olympics. The Olympics is is quite amazing, but it, it's interesting that surfers are, are cleaner now, if you like, yes. from a from a substance point of view. Um, so that's that that also helps, I think, in in that regard. From from a from an exposure point of view, we'll we'll see how that all goes. It's like a one day event, uh, all the all the hoo ha about about surfing, but we'll be in the family, and that's I think that's important for the sport long term. Finally, I think the thing that um, benefits ace uh, surfing most in a lot of countries is that there's there'll be more funding for the federations. Yep, yes. If there's more funding for the federations, that will that will enhance the prospects of, of talented surfers in those countries. And, you know, like in, in El Salvador, for instance, I think there's 14 people, I think six guys and eight girls will qualify for the 2020 Olympics. So that's a, that's a big event. You know, there's a big opportunity for a lot of people to be a very serious event. And, and I think I think if, if their surfs can do well, that will help a lot of countries convince their yeah, government yeah. that they, can get, they, they need more sport. Yeah. More, more support and more money, you know, and I think that's good. That's a good thing. Yeah, and, and I guess with that development, we'll only see better equipment for surfing, better techniques for coaching and, and all sorts. Yeah, of but having, having said that, probably the final thing I'd like to say is that, you know, like, surfing's all, all, all about, uh, the thing about surfing, it's all about fun. You know, you're all having fun. And, you know, and the, the thing, the, the difference between each level of surfing you know, people, recreational surfers, the David Tra- um, Ratovich of the world, it's all about going out and enjoying the moment and surfing with dolphins and, you know, and all that sort of stuff. Competitive, yeah. competitive surfers, their fun is being competitive. Their fun is working hard on their surfing. Their fun is, is being challenged on a daily basis. And so fun is has, has a different value for different people. And I think too many, probably the negative thing about it is too many people put other people down for the type of fun they're trying to achieve you know yeah. but, but it's all it's all relevant it's all it's it's all valid in the, in the scheme or, of or people allow themselves to feel guilty about what they find fun 
yeah, yeah, that's right. You know, and I, I don't, I don't judge anyone in any shape. It's all again. It comes back to that. It's all about reaching their potential, whatever that potential may be. I think that's a beautiful sentiment to finish on, Martin. Thank you, thank you so much for your time. It's been a real pleasure. All right. Okay. Yeah. Great. Thanks very much, guys. It's been a real pleasure talking to you. Just very quickly again, where can the uh, where can any of the listeners that are interested in in finding more information where can they find you? My uh, instructional site is martindunn.com.au. Perfect. Well, thank you so much, Martin. Goodbye. Okay, see ya. That was the Surf Simply podcast from the Surf Simply coaching resort in Costa Rica. For more about Surf Simply's video coaching courses for experienced surfers and technical coaching for entry-level surfers, go to surfsimply.com.